Welcome back to the Game Link Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Lebby, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Elmer. How's it going, folks? And uh, we'll let our guest introduce himself today. We got a guest. Hey, I'm really excited to be the first ever guest on the Game Link Podcast. My name is Thor, and I know a lot less about video games than these two, but I do know about movies. Yeah, that's all right. Um, you are going to be great to have on because you know so much about movies. Um, and and Thor has his own podcast. We've been guests on it a couple times, um, and that's Thor's Hour of Thunder. So um, you can check. The, you can find where. Where can they find you? Uh, any really? of the uh, the podcast uh, services, you know, uh, Apple, uh, Google, that sort of thing. All right. Cool. I once on a lark just decided, let's see if I can find all my favorite podcasts on, you know, like the most <laughs> randoms uh, of the different like RSS feed software apps you can get on your phone. Found one called Podbean. Another one that was called like something slash slash had like two x's and something and a hamster in the title and i still found just about everybody that you could want so yeah between thor's ours and the bloody good horror guys yeah you can find just about anybody anywhere so yeah yeah so um today we are going to be talking about uh another movie that came before a video game and uh they're not even directly related we're going to be talking about half-life and a movie from 1990 called chameleon um and we'll we'll kind of explain the the relevance as we go, but um, this is going to be a good episode, I think. So um, before we jump into that, um, who wants to go first, uh, Thor or Elmer? What were you guys up to this last week? Let's have Elmer go, so I can uh, like I've, I've listened to your guys' show, but just to make sure I understand the format of what. <laughs> oh, sure, okay, sure, sure, sure. So I don't just I don't just start being like, oh man, the photocopier broke. <laughs> I mean, if that's what you want to talk about, you know, uh, what you what you do this week, Elmer? Uh, a little bit of everything, to tell you the truth. Uh, ended up having to change my oil on my car for the first time in probably close to a year with how little <laughs> I drive, with literally walking two blocks to work every week. Um, on top of that, uh, finally changed my furnace filter, and oh, uh, yeah. oh yeah, I surprised the <laughs> heck out of Ain- Archangel when I came riding home on a bright red and silver beach cruiser on Wednesday going, guess what, I'm turning to the Pee-wee Mobile, and flying <laughs> by, but uh, yeah, nothing too much, too crazy beyond that really happened this week. So. Did you uh, did you watch anything good? Nothing new, to be honest with you. Um, at least I don't think so. Nothing that really, you know. Got me excited. I guess I should say I've caught a couple minutes of House of the Dragon this week, oh. but having like little to no context with Game of Thrones in general, I'm just sitting there going, oh, look, hi, Patty Constantine. Hi, Doctor Who. This is <laughs> weird, but uh, yeah. No, nothing too much. How about yourself? Um, well, I, uh, let's see. I watched, gosh, what was the movie called? What did we watch? We watched Sinister. Oh. Uh, that that horror movie, Sinister, uh, and it was my second time seeing it. I think, and it was okay. I, I don't. I think it was definitely better the first time. Maybe that's not a multiple watch movie, but um, also some hot gaming news. Um, Perfect Dark is coming to the PC. Yeah, making a remaster of Perfect Dark. So uh, I'm kind of getting pumped about that. And the new Sonic game is coming out in like early November, like November eighth. So I have it pre-ordered, and I'm trying not to get my hopes up about it because it is a Sonic game. But uh, 
you know, um, otherwise it was a pretty easy going week. I had fun. Uh, did you do, uh, do or see anything interesting, Thor? Yeah. Um, went, uh, in terms of do, uh, went apple picking, which, uh, which isn't really my bag, but, um, then the, uh, the apple orchard had a outdoor bar, um, with, uh, <laughs> like a million different kinds of cider um that so that they awesome. all of which all of which they'd made they had just like a regular apple cider and then they had one with blueberries they had one with like blueberries and lemonade it was a pretty oh, yeah. uh pretty sweet deal so <laughs> next year I, i'm gonna try and convince my wife that we just skip the picking and just drive out there and <laughs> like drink and then sober up in our car <laughs> <laughs> yeah that sounds awesome Oh, man. Or I guess maybe we could get drunk first and then pick the apples. That might work, too. <laughs> Either way, there's cider involved. Exactly, yeah. And then in terms of watching, I'm slowly making my way through Beyond the Black Rainbow for my podcast. I've uh, seen it before, and it's it's good. It's from the guy who did Mandy. But it's Ooh. so slow. Like It's meant to be like a sort of like fever dream of a film like it's oh, not of meant course to yeah that's all mandy was <laughs> yeah yeah wait you finally saw mandy i've i've i think i fell asleep halfway through Aww. but uh, <laughs> i tend to do that during movies <laughs> that's funny i've never um, ruined my cheddar goblin over here your cheddar goblin t-shirt over here again damn it <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Um, I actually still need to see Mandy. I haven't, so uh, oh. you know, look forward to that. Maybe next Halloween. Um, Ooh, yeah. But uh, I also watched um, just because I, I was having trouble sleeping, so I was like, let me find something mindless I can watch. And uh, the Peter Weller movie Leviathan is on Tubi now. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> and then for some reason, the Italian version is on uh, Pluto TV. Okay. Do you yeah. Mean the- do you mean the Italian-made version of Leviathan or the re- Italian cut of Leviathan? No, no, no. Just, like, the exact same cut but dubbed in Italian. Oh. Like, <laughs> I think someone made a mistake and sent the wrong cut because it's it's from an Italian company. It's from the, the De Laurentiis. Um, <laughs> That's hilarious. So I think, yeah, I think someone sent the wrong cut to, to Pluto, and I'm probably the first person to try watching it on Pluto, so I'm the first person. To <laughs> oh, great. I thought you meant that it was like competing like horror underwater horror movies from that era. You know, on the one hand, you got Leviathan made by a Greek guy, and then on the other end, you've got like uh, I can't remember which one it was. Um, the one with uh, Arlie Ermy in it, uh, where it's like Deep the Star. Undersea. Was that Deep Star Six? No, that's um, that's the one from Sean S. Cunningham, the guy who did Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah. Because then there's the one that. Um... Yeah, I'm blanking on the name of that. There was the Abyss. Which they were all trying to rip off, and then um, there's there's the third one that I'm liking. Oh well, not going to come to me. Um, but uh, I should say you're right. This was produced by Italians, but then um, the uh, the the director was I'm what's his name? I think I'm actually George P. Cosmatos, who is the father of Panos Cosmatos, the guy who directed Beyond the Black Rainbow. Yeah, so I'm only, that's why I wanted to double check that before I uh, I laid claim to that because that's a that's a pretty crazy thing to have happened that I I inadvertently watched only Cosmatos movies this weekend except for Chameleons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so speaking of Chameleons, um, what what were you able to find out about this movie, Elmer? So it was written and directed by uh, credited by somebody named Mikkel Anderson. Who, which was actually the directing and writing name for Michael B. Anderson, 
a member of the Caltech uh, animation department. I can't remember what the numbers is, but it's like where a lot of the guys who later went on to be like the yeah, founding 23, members. Yeah, uh, room, room 2319, right? Yes. Yep. Thank you. Yeah. It's, uh, I always forget that number, even though it's just like, no, I should just remember Monsters, Inc. like that. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't remember if he was directly a member of that original group or if he was like some of the late, like one of the later classes that kind of came down that way. But um, he, you know, just like a lot of the guys who were at, uh, you know, Disney, people who were over at Nickelodeon uh, developing shows like Dexter's Lab, Ren and Stimpy, um, stuff like that. Uh, he went on to actually work for The Simpsons, uh, being one of their animation heads there. And on top of that, he kind of wrote and directed his own other little sci-fi comedy horror kind of mix-up movies. His other movie he did right before this um, is something, God, I can't remember the title of it. It's like something about a t-shirt. And it's just like, wait, what? It is, uh, ah, shoot. But, uh, which is less important because originally the, the name of it when they distributed it in France was Sexy Lady and it's about <laughs> a nurse at a psychiatric hospital whose catatonic patient, she decides that the only way to get him out of his you know catatonic state is I need to have sex with him. <laughs> of course. Oh, wow. So that, that movie is called Alone in the T-Shirt Zone, but Sexy Lady <laughs> seems like a more apt title. Yep. That's hilarious. Yep. Can you see why that one didn't come to mind quickly? And especially when I looked down and went, oh, crap, I don't have it on my phone anymore. <laughs> well, that one's lost to history. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it just sounds like it was a sort of his own sort of, you know. Oh, roughly, my God. He was he was a consultant on Tripping the Rift. Do you remember that? It was like the first. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Oh, Wow. <laughs> but then again, wasn't Brad Bird like thanked and like specifically thanked in the uh, South Park movie or something like that or the first episode of South Park? Like something weird <laughs> like that. And special thanks to Brad Bird for assisting in animation. Mm. But uh, yeah, it just sounds like uh, Michael Anderson here, he kind of developed like some of these weird ideas that he had oh this might be fun for a film or whatnot and uh so he sat down wrote this with another friend of his from college who has not gone on to anything else <laughs> and then he talked to his friend harry s robbins who was a younger or i shouldn't say younger who was an actor stand-up theatrical uh actor as well as writer who plays the head sort of like a scientist professor in this film who's the patriarch of this family <laughs> It just so happens this actor later went on, not to jump the gun too much, but I think it'd be the perfect time to say this, Yeah, did the voice of almost all of the scientists in the first Half-Life game, yeah. and then they brought him back to do the voice of Dr. Kleiner specifically in Half-Life 2. Yep. Take a, either take a drink, or man, I wish I had a nickel every single time <laughs> he said a line in this that sounded like it was right out of the first Half-Life game. Yeah, it was, it was kind of cool. Like, I... I knew that, um, you know, the the movie kind of reminded me about the game when I first discovered the movie, but I never realized that it actually had real connections to the game. So. And on top of that, it's got everything from parasitic aliens that kind of turn you into their slaves, so to speak, to, well, no joke, uh, Robbins here actually says the line, Resonance... Other science word, other science word that's unconnected, cascade. And I just went, yeah, he said it, he said it. <laughs> uh, yeah, also this movie, like, 
who did, what, was it you that told us or or Thor that told us that it was uh it was originally like shot as a comedy and then he, he oh the produ- yeah the producers <laughs> took one look at it and went no that's too slow paced we got to speed this up and i i read that one producer wanted to make it into a thriller and then the other one was originally a editor for Japanese action movies and knew very little English, so then cut the movie around that as well. And apparently yeah, this so, is some sort of nightmare bastard cut. Yeah, according to the uh, the Wiki- Wikipedia on it, um, which I which I believe, um, the uh, producer's name, uh, her name was Wu, she uh, edited it down from two hours to 90 minutes um basically like taking out anything that she didn't think was like action um wow and i'm amazed the movie sort of holds up as well as it does because it says yeah. that's the cut that we see yeah that's uh that's a quarter of the movie removed you know? <laughs> yeah. that's crazy oh, yeah and the uh the director said that he um he still has all the original footage um which uh it must have been on uh tape right this, there's no way this movie was shot in film yeah no yeah like you can especially tell during the outdoor shots um so uh he says he still has all the original footage in his refrigerator and he's waiting for someone to want him to make a director's cut that uh, i it needs to happen it needs to happen so like what should, what should we should, we should kind of break down the the timeline of this movie a little bit right because um we need to we need to convince the people out there to watch this movie because it is, it is one of one of my new like guilty pleasures. Yeah, I was amazed how well it holds up because when I saw it, it was so low budget, I was like, oh man, this is gonna be bad. This is gonna be hard to sit through. But it's it's yeah. it's it's really low budget, but it's not bad. It's actually really clever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So like, it's about um, it's about like this rich family who like the. The father of the family is like some scientist always working on the like, nuclear physics and stuff in his lab uh, in the basement of their mansion. Like you do. <laughs> um, and then the rest of the family just kind of being dumb teenagers or, or whatever. And uh, the dad ends up like, what did he create? Like some sort of portal or something to another planet or another dimension or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these uh, these little these little bug alien things <laughs> like end up sucking the, the dead, the dad scientist in uh, to the portal and then entering, you know, our earth. Uh, and it, it's, it's pretty funny because like the son is like obsessed with this like model, uh, and, like hangs a poster of this model in his closet. And he's always, you know, looking at the poster and talking about how hot she is. And, uh, these aliens are shapeshifters, apparently. Uh, I think I think the best part is like the first, like the first like gotcha by the aliens in the movie was one of the guys is just um, like in the mirror, like tidying up his shirt and whatever, and all of a sudden he goes, "Huh?" and turns around. And there's just a bug on his shoulder, a bug alien on his shoulder. The lights change on him like something out of creep show with like these heavy like red, blue, and yellows. He's like, "Huh." And terror at the static bug that's just you know clipped to the back of his shirt. Ah! Yeah, and, and the entire movie is filled with shots like that and special effects that are like really bad. But you know you could tell they were done, 
you know, just the best of what they could do, and it was done with love. So, And you could tell that when it was originally shot, not when it was originally edited, or the music was overlaid with it, or how fast they sped it up or whatnot. You can tell that it was shot to be corny as hell and fun at the same time. You knew yeah. that they shot this so that way it felt like an old 1950s horror movie with, oh no, the killer, you know, fiend without a face, the brain monsters are coming, so to speak. Compared to, you know, like, say, John Carpenter's The Thing or The Blob or something from this time of, you know, like, things jumping across rooms and stuff. Yeah. This is a little slower paced than that. It was, a, it was like, a, an interesting spin on, like, the, the monster movie trope thing. And, and um, this is another thing that it relates to Half-Life with is, is these, little, these little alien guys. They're, like, basically head crabs. So, um, yeah, so, so Thor, in, in the Half-Life, Half-Life games, there are these... They're called head crabs. They're like little fleshy spiders, and they will jump on your head and then like mind control you and be able to puppet your body around and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's basically what happens in this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's minus the psychic the special, powers. The special effects are are hokey, but I feel like the movie and the movie is cheesy. But I feel like it's it not into that. It. What's that? It like leans into it a little bit, right? Yeah, but it's also like sincere enough that I still cared about the characters because that's a problem I have with like stuff that's intentionally cheesy or intentionally campy. Yeah, is that like that works for like a short, but then you have to like eventually start caring about the characters. So it it almost kind of reminded me of like some of the tone of like Six String Samurai, where it has like super campy stuff, but then you'll like be like, oh, I actually like care about this conflict and I want this person to, you know, succeed because they've, they've actually drawn somewhat of a character in this. Yeah, and, you know, that might be a positive outcome of all this editing done by the producer because um, it kind of hit this weird, like, middle area where, where it, like, didn't really take itself seriously but also wasn't, like, goofy, like, too much about it. You know, like, there was... There was obviously, you know, like when the the reverend shows up at the door and he's just got this, this halo big, behind him, <laughs> this big wide eyed creepy smile and like a halo behind him, like obviously that's a joke, right? But it's it's like they never draw attention to it. So um, yeah, it was it was kind of uh, kind of unique to see. But the more like the farther I got into the movie, the more I was appreciating it. I guess the question yeah. is, is this technically body horror if, slight spoiler alert, if the movie resets itself at the end of it? Is it really body horror? Well, 90% of it gets reset by the end of it? I mean, it's still body horror because the stuff still happened even if they, uh, yeah. even if it gets undone, you know? Okay. Yeah, I, I guess it still counts then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they, they shove a guy's entire body into a fishbowl. <laughs> I forgot about that. I love that. Like the, that shot. <laughs> the uh, bubbles coming up. Oh. A lot of the stuff in this movie was ridiculous. Okay. Um so I I want us to all name like a, a favorite part of the movie, but um I will go ahead and say the one that everyone's probably gonna pick, the penis monster. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So at one point in the movie, um, like one of the cousins is like, you know, in in bed with the with the pastor or whatever, and and they start you know getting busy. All of a sudden, his he has this growing bulge in his pants, and she's like, oh oh my, you know, undoes his pants, and it's just a giant like dragon 
penis monster that starts like attacking him <laughs> and it is uh you, you gotta love a good penis monster scene but uh it, it was man i i was cackling for quite a while at that and it ends up killing him um but yeah that's definitely a highlight of this movie and then thor i believe it was your favorite shot of that entire moment when his hand was holding onto it just goes limp and falls onto the bed and his palm outstretches and he's holding a <laughs> condom in it at the same time oh <laughs> Hey, it's important to it's important to emphasize safe sex. You got <laughs> yeah. to get a condom over your giant dragon penis. Oh well, it's funny because he was uh, he he mentioned like uh, like he he complained about the the pastor. He complained about liberals, and he mentioned like Dianetics multiple times. <laughs> no, no, no. He called it what was it? Diegetics. Oh, yeah. diegetics. Yeah. <laughs> Which. Uh, I'm assuming if this movie was more well known, it would have been sued into oblivion by Scientology. <laughs> oh yeah, probably. This might be the reason why it's not on DVD, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, they also add a little detail in there where um, before he was like a priest, he was a pimp. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. And they don't go into detail about how the ant knew him, but it seems yeah. like. She was not up to any good. Uh, <laughs> right. No, 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 not shaming, not shaming sex work, you know, sex workers work. But um, right. it was definitely funny that she was just like, you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was great. So he was, he was definitely one of my favorite characters. And that was my favorite scene, I think. Uh, who wants to go next? What was your favorite, Thor? So weirdly enough, um, you know, Fishbowl would be an obvious choice, but I have to go with, because I didn't expect the movie to be so goopy yet, was when um, the Count, which first of all, this movie has a Count in it, like a Count from Lincoln. <laughs> oh, yeah. When the Count gets possessed, and then he's trying to seduce the maid, and he takes off his, like, jacket, and instead of having an undershirt, he just has, like, oozing flesh. <laughs> yeah, just gross, slimy abs. Yeah. And and then the reverse shot they did, so that way when he puts the shirt back on, they just did a reverse shot of him, like, tearing the shirt through the buttons. They reverse it, so it just goes, Shriek! and he puts his hands there, and he's just like, mm -hmm. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I didn't even notice footage. that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what about you, Elmer? Hmm. Uh, I'd say seeing the gal who uh, Thor and I were just obsessed with, who plays the sister in it, who's just annoying and preachy, and I oh. realized, I'm like, oh, God, she's like if... Uh, Ricky Lake played Lydia in the Beetlejuice <laughs> is what she is. Yes. When the Count, who gets possessed and taken over Body Snatcher style by um, by this alien, he makes her deep throat a phone. <laughs> and she's running around for about two minutes with just part of an actual, like a big 1980s, you know, handset for a phone, yeah. like stuck coming out of the corner or coming out of her mouth. It's just like, just open your mouth wider and pull the rest of it out. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I, that that was hilarious. This this movie she had a lot of to, good scenes like that. She does have to go to the hospital, and then for some reason they put her in a neck brace, which we, <laughs> she wears for exactly five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Before she rips it off and just starts screaming at her mom. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and man, I love awesome. the, the mom, the, like, oblivious mom. Like, that could have been annoying that the mom just keeps being like, oh, the Count wouldn't do that. Everything's yeah. great. And, like, the Count throws a knife at her, and she's like, oh, thank you. I needed a knife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's completely oblivious the whole time, and she's the only one that doesn't get fucked with. 
Yes. Uh, which speaking of the point. so the the cousin that was in bed with the with the pastor, I have to mention, her scene was, um, she like slaps the count who's possessed by one of these aliens, and so he gets mad and turns her into like a spider with her human face, but she's like tiny. And uh, the mom ends up like spraying her with bug spray, and she dies, or whatever. But that, uh, like the little costume that they did for her to wear to do that scene, um, God, it was it was a masterpiece. They just cut a hole in like the floor, like in a table, and just had her stick her head through, and they had this really crappy like foam spider body on top. And for some strange reason, the way they shot it is they shot it so it was on its back every single time, going <laughs> like that. It's you guys could have thought a better way to do that? Yeah, I don't yeah, know if that was, like, easier to control the little... Because the little spider arms moved. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was awesome. And then, um... Yeah, and so then the movie does have a little bit of a twist. So, um, I don't know if we mentioned that... So, two aliens came into the world. One uh, possessed, like, the Count, so this guy. And he was the one going around killing everyone. And one took the form of the model in this kid's... Um, closet poster or whatever so the model's going around trying to stop the the guy from killing everyone or whatever and a little bit of a twist you find out that the alien that possessed this guy is only 10 years old so it's a child and she's the babysitter that watches him once a week (laughs) (laughs) so it's just like a, a neat like nonsensical little little twist in there that was really um really kind of neat and I just realized, is this movie actually rated anything? Uh, I would imagine it would have to be rated R. I mean, I don't remember any heavy uses of, you know, swear or of cuss words. It's I mean, got a penis monster. Yeah. Yes, but I mean, it's it doesn't look that phallic, though. I mean, I've seen other things where there was giant monster things coming out of people's chests. I mean, they made alien jokes on, like, Rugrats and stuff like that and were able to get away with it. I mean, that's pretty phallic. I'm looking on IMDb, and I actually don't see a rating. If it turned out to be PG, I would laugh so very, very hard. <laughs> yeah, maybe it doesn't have a rating. I can't... I mean, it might just be unrated, but how funny would it be if they actually tried to make this for general audiences? Because it is quite tame if you think about it. Yeah, Yeah, I typed in Chameleon's MPAA rating, and nothing came up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it might have not been submitted to the MPA. Like you have to like spend money. You have to Maybe spend money to submit things yeah, to the MPA. Yeah, they didn't have the budget. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but actually, let's see. in the the British, there's you know controversy in England because movies, you know, like here you just release stuff unrated, like Hatchet. But um, in England, things get outright banned from England because the uh, the rating system is the government. Video oh. nasties. Exactly, yeah, but like still to this day. So in protest to that, someone did a Kickstarter of, um, I think they got enough to spend, uh, send 10 hours of footage of paint drying to the, the British form. Uh, <laughs> and they, they, had to, they had to watch all 10 hours. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, man. So just, uh, I mean, just kind of a waste of everybody's time, but I'm glad somebody did it. Yeah, I mean, like... I the... still splice in like one, like, Two second clip of like you know full on porn in there just so they're like oh I saw it <laughs> for about a second. I'm still angsty enough at, at 30 to appreciate that. So exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so how does this movie end? Um, they end up like the the babysitter alien ends up finding the guy and talks to him and 
talks him down from killing somebody and they end up returning to their portal and everything literally just turns back to normal except for the cousin that got turned into a bug never changes back it's great stuck gets stuck in the radiator stuck as a bug forever but everyone else that died comes back to life like nothing happened i mean even the dad who got bent over backwards into a tiny little hole he comes through just looking like Janusz at the end of Ghostbusters too. <laughs> yeah. cool. This is the dad who uh, is the voice of the scientists in Half Life, right? Yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah. So he um, he's basically just in the beginning and the end of the movie. Um, to uh, quote the podcast, the Flop House, he's kind of like the the millionaire who uh, comes and asks the Three Stooges to uh, clean up his uh, house for him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, we should mention that all of a sudden they were like, oh no, my thermal reactor is about to go off. We're all going to die. Oh yeah. So uh, speaking of thermal reactors going off at the beginning of the movie, when, when the scientist is kind of explaining his, his contraption to the kid, um, you know, they're talking about, well, if the cooling goes out, it's going to have a 600 megaton blast radius. And my, my only thought is like, Megatons is a is a measurement of of power, um, not distance. So uh, it was it was kind of like the this, the sciencey parts of it were just like saying science words. And yeah, uh, I also appreciated that. You know, <laughs> this it, was a bit of a uh, it parsecs. can do the uh, yeah exactly do the kettle run in uh, twelve parsecs. <laughs> uh. I immediately That's, wanted to say, uh, what's the conversion of that for gal- or, uh, dollops per hour? Six hundred <laughs> megatons. Yeah, it's like I, it's like saying I'm gonna go down to the store. It's only twenty liters away. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, I guess we can do bops or flops for the movie now. Uh, so we're gonna go around and say whether it's a bop or a flop or both, and why. We'll start with uh, Elmer. Bop or flop for you. Oh, bop and a half. Holy crap, I am so happy I saw this. People who are actually watching this stream or actually have access to whenever we're able to post it, the different posters we're able to find for these movies and video games we do, just, I want you people to take this. <laughs> I want you to take just that lovely image in there because while without context, that poster says nothing. If you've seen this movie... This poster speaks volumes and tells the entire story of what you have laying ahead of you. It's magical. Well, no, the poster doesn't say nothing if you haven't seen the movie. The poster says somebody saw Reanimator because they basically just <laughs> Reanimator in the corner. Uh, yeah, that too. <laughs> hey, remember all these other movies you really like that look kind of like this? Oh, you're totally going to like this. <laughs> yeah. So how about you, Thor? Was this a bop or a flop? I was so pleasantly surprised by this movie, especially the uh, the first scene where we've got this like, you know, scientist in the lab, and I was like, oh man, I know what kind of movie this is going to be. And then his 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 wife comes and like is yelling at him that he's got to like clean up for his birthday party, and I was like, okay, I don't know what kind of movie this is going to be. And every scene of this movie is a surprise because the tone yeah. keeps shifting wildly. But I really was along for the ride. I mean, you got to go in being okay with a really low-budget movie, and like you said, a lot of it's very campy, but as I said, just enough of it's sincere that I... And I, and I love the twist. I, I think it's so fun that it's just a, a 10-year-old that like doesn't know right from wrong, you know? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. It was it was a bop for me too, like bops all around. Um, I think I said earlier this is definitely going to be like a new guilty pleasure of mine. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I loved every second of this movie. I, I, I kind of researched it a little bit before I suggested to these guys that we should watch it. Um, but even I wasn't expecting it to be good at all. I was thinking, okay, we're going to watch some low-budget schlock and, and have something to make fun of. But uh, this is kind of like a hidden gem. This is great. Yeah. The best way to describe it, it feels like a trauma or like full moon if they would have attempted to do uh, Terror Vision back in the day instead of New World. This is the best way of how I look at this movie. <laughs> yeah, and um, I guess we didn't mention... This movie, if you want to watch it, uh, can pretty much only be found on YouTube. So um, find it on YouTube. It's free. Um, it even has the FBI warning in front of it, which is ironic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, Thor mentioned he might be heading, heading uh, to eat dinner at this time, unless you want to stick around. Are, are you, are you going to head out, Thor? No, I'll listen to the whole episode, but I... Uh... I don't think I'll have much to contribute, so it'll be silly to just have me in the corner being like, <laughs> <laughs> "Sure, no, that's fine." Um, so we'll we'll kind of tie this into Half Life now, um, and I know both Elmer and I have have played a good amount of Half Life, but he might have actually he might have actually played more than I did. Um, so oh, <laughs> Thor left. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a game I played a lot at like friends' houses and stuff when I was a kid, and, well, and more so Half Life Two, um, because I wasn't really a PC gamer in 1998, which is when the first one came out. But uh, and then I was never really an Xbox guy. But when I would go over uh, to my friends' houses, I did play Half Life Two a lot. Um, so this game is definitely loved a lot. Um, and Half-Life was Valve's actually debut product, so it was like their first project. Uh, it came out in 1998, and it was actually published by Sierra, mm -hmm. which isn't uh, is it's a name I haven't heard in a very long time. Not since I last booted up my copy of SWAT 3 have I even thought of Sierra online. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, published by Sierra, and um, Gabe Newell actually said that the the team was disappointed with the lack of innovation in the FPS genre, um, so he was aiming to create an immersive world rather than a shooting gallery, um, and they they actually ended up making the game on a very heavily modded um, Quake engine. Uh, they even licensed it from id Software and everything, so um, they, they kind of went about this really weird. Um, it's a horror FPS game inspired by Doom, inspired by Quake, uh, Stephen King's The Mist, and uh, an episode of The Outer Limits from the 60s. It's an old TV show. Um, the level design was even inspired by the anime Akira. I can actually kind of picture that, yeah. a lot of that, actually, in terms of the uh, Akira chamber. So, yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, obviously... Um, Alien, the Alien series was another influence, but like with all these these uh, influences, how could you go wrong? Um, Dead Space Four, <clears throat> <laughs> right? But the problem was this was 1998, um, so a lot of people thought that the game was too ambitious for a first-person shooter, 
um, and Valve was having actually a hard time finding a publisher. Uh, luckily, around that time, Sierra was looking into publishing a 3D game, so they made a deal with Valve, um, and uh, yeah, so Valve finally got funding. They were able to show off the AI for the game at E3 in 1997, and um, it created a lot of hype because um, the AI could behave in fear, uh, and it's like stuff like that, which was pretty new in 1997. Um, so there was a lot of buzz around it, and they actually wanted to do a release in late 1997 um, to compete with Quake 2, um, but it, it just didn't get ready in time, unfortunately. So um, they ended up doing something kind of really intense, but it worked out really well for them. They postponed the game and reworked every single level. Um, they would have a small team come up with the concept level, basic layout and items and whatnot. Um, and then they would uh, send that to a larger team that would spend a month fleshing out each level, one at a time. Uh, they even set like guidelines and rules for what each level would need to be considered fun. Um, so first, it had to have several interesting things happen all triggered by the player rather than a timer so that it would feel like you're setting the pace for the level. Um, second, the, uh, the, uh, the wall textures had to show, um, like the, le the level had to respond to your player's actions. So like even if it's like a wall showing your bullet marks when you shoot into it, um, having that sort of little detail be a permanence thing uh, was pretty ambitious in 1997. Um, and then finally, they, uh, the level would warn the player of imminent danger and allow them to avoid it rather than just coming out of nowhere and killing the player, um, which is really great guidelines to have in place, right? I, I mean, <laughs> this, this game is 25 years old soon, and uh, we still don't get games that do that mm -mm. to this day. They still have it where you just walk into the room and you can get stuck in a permadeath cycle without, you know, just either due to glitches <laughs> or, or either due to glitches or just because, you know, bad AI programming or something like that. But, yeah, no, I mean, to this day, even if there is a glitch or something like that, there's always still a way out or a way around like a certain permadeath moment or something like that. Yeah, so, so this was this was pretty innovative um, for 1997. So in order to get this process rolling like a well-oiled machine uh they actually had to create something they called the cabal which was um a team of about six people they were all extremely experienced um like people from each department in valve um that had that had basically the responsibility for every part of the the, the design process um, so including the level layouts, key events, enemy designs, the narrative, um, introduction of gameplay elements, and, and everything. So they had this like main group that they were basically like the, the deciding factor. But then they'd have like mini cabals in each department to make sure that the ideas all get implement, uh, implemented correctly. Um, so like it's, they had this really weird like hierarchy thing but it worked out so 
The Cabal would produce a 200-page design document detailing every single aspect of the game. Then they produced a 30-page document just about the narrative. And then they hired a science fiction novelist named Mark Laidlaw to uh, manage the script and um, add old storytelling tricks um, to make it interesting. And two months after implementing these Cabals, um, they had a playable test version of the game. Two months? Two months. So it really worked. Um, it worked so well that they did the same exact thing for Team Fortress 2. And it just took them, what, 15 years to finally get that game <laughs> running? <laughs> yeah, so like, it, it was kind of like a cool success story uh, for Valve. Because, I mean, this being their first project, it. I mean, if, if this flopped, who knows what Steam would be as we know it, right? <laughs> GameSpy um, <laughs> Game Network. Yeah, the GameSpy Arcade. Um, but unfortunately, it was kind of hard to find too much about the development of Half-Life because um, a lot of the details of the development were lost. Um, according to a Valve employee named Eric Johnson, two or three months before the release of the game, their visual source safe, uh, which is their like their control system, like their basically their server, it exploded. Uh, and all the logs of technical changes um, to the game and stuff were lost. Just the logs, though, luckily. Um, and code had to be recovered from individual computers instead of the server. Um, so we ended up losing a lot of little details. But luckily, it didn't didn't ruin too much. Unfortunately, somebody, in their infinite wisdom, decided that they better do a screenshot of the original Gordon Freeman design. So to this day, we can bask in the glow. Of Yuri, <laughs> the space biker. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, Half-Life, it ended up making a big impact um, in PC gaming. It won over 50 uh, PC Game of the Year awards. Um, and the cool thing about this was uh, Valve is really supportive about um, independent developers and the mod scene. Um, so they they actually released with the game their like level creation tools and stuff like that um so people could just you know make whatever they wanted with it um and it's i mean it's still getting modded to this day so um like like we have i think it's called black mesa it's an hd remake of the first half-life game and it requires you to have the original game purchased in order to to play it but um yeah, it's really cool. So check that out if you haven't played the first one. That's definitely the the way to experience it. Um, and so Valve themselves even even modded Half Life. Uh, that's where Counter Strike came from. It's just a mod of Half Life. Um, so I mean, yeah, it, it this game uh, really kind of made made some good waves in the gaming space, and uh, I definitely recommend playing it. It is definitely a lot of fun, and if anything, it further cemented just the great melee roll a crowbar can actually come in handy with in a game. <laughs> yeah, no, um, yeah, I think, I think this was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm kind of having the urge to go play some Half-Life again, but... <laughs> 
All I can say is the first 20 minutes of that game is is such a slog. The only thing fun about the only really part that, in my opinion, other than just kind of immersive, immersing you in the world is running through and finding all the little Easter eggs. Like you can blow up someone's burrito in the microwave. You can <laughs> um, like knock over, I think, like a couple of coffee cups at one point, um, and then you can like shut, like lock people in rooms and closets and such. <laughs> Which I don't remember if they are able to come back later in the game or not, but I just remember doing that all the time as a kid. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I yeah I love Half Life. It's yeah, kind it's a modern masterpiece, and uh, yeah, I mean between it and the original um, Blue Shift and um, oh, what's the other um, D, not DLC? What do you call it? expansion pack? They did where it's uh, you're playing as the opposing force. It's oh, an opposing shift. Yeah. Opposing force, something yes. like that. Yeah, one of the best from that era, just you know, best expansion packs where it's practically an entire another game just built, just set in a different part of the facility, which is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I think we'll uh, get ready to we'll end the episode here pretty soon. Um, we'll save the talk for Half Life Two when we finally do the hardcore Henry episode later. <laughs> You know that might be good. Yeah, we'll we'll have to try to find something to talk about Half Life Two with because um, that's another good one. But uh, yeah, um, if you if you want to see more or hear more of Thor, again his uh, his podcast is called Thor's Hour of Thunder. You can find it on every, you know everywhere you can find us. Uh, if you want to find us, we should have a link in any description here. But uh, gamelink.click. That's where you can find our YouTube videos, our uh, Twitch stream, and all, all that sort of thing. So, um, with that being said, I uh, thanks for listening, and we'll uh, we'll find something entertaining for you all next week. Alrighty, you have yourself a good week, guys. Stay safe, stay sexy, and keep being spooky out there. All right, bye, guys. Mm-mm.